Kings are buried in the pyramids of Meroe. After the third century BC, a series of strong queens occupied the throne and may have been co-regents. One of the most powerful ruled near the time of Christ, just before the temple of Dan Gale was properly constructed. The beloved monarch of Meroe, Queen Manarinus, upon her throne she sat, pondering her next move. Yet again, a foreign foe had taken her neighbor's land to the north, down the Nile, the bravest of them yet. These northern men attempt to impose on the sovereignty of her people living down the Nile, Egypt, as it is called by them. Excessive taxation and mistreatment of her people in the upper part of that realm, she cannot have this. Finally, she decides to act. A swift victory was made that day. Plentiful was the war booty of old Kemet, with her enemy's hands bound behind them and a bronze statue of Augustus lying below her conquering palm. Amani Shaketo is a really powerful Nubian queen. She's carrying bows and arrows. These are traditionally the accoutrements of a man. She's got prisoners tied up. There's a good possibility that she actually fought off the Romans. In 23 BC, Roman soldiers attacked the Nubian kingdom. According to their accounts, the Nubian resistance was led by a valiant woman, blind in one eye, who scholars believe may be Amani Sheketo. The queen successfully stopped the Romans from overtaking her kingdom and even brokered a favorable peace treaty. She made her way back to Meroe with vengeful plight, the head 
must go into the temple as we walk about it day and night. This, she exclaimed as she embodied the spirit of her ancestors, the warrior queens that came before her known to the world as Kandakis. The Greeks knew them as Candaces. When we study history and great people who contributed to our world, our women warriors and rulers are often overlooked. From the 3rd century BCE to the 2nd century CE, the empire of Kush was ruled by a line of independent female rulers called the Candaces, or in their traditional language of Kush, Kentucky. Amenirads, Amenishakete, Nawitma, and Malekwebar were four queens well known as Candaces. Different from their Egyptian counterparts, the Candaces had absolute rule instead of the power coming from their husbands. During the period known as the Meroitic period, Kush thrived and it was often thought of as a nation never ruled by a male. The word Kentucky means queen mother, so the title was not taken lightly. If a woman was a Candace, she was able to influence the line of succession and consolidate her power. The Candace often played a role in the coronation of a new king. The Candaces are well known for refusing Alexander's entry into Kush and deterring him on one of his military campaigns, causing him to overtake a weaker Egypt. The strength of the Candace rulers also appeared in history as they were able to thwart the Roman conquest of Kush. Using brilliant battle tactics, Amenirras attacked Patronus during Rome's punitive invasions of Napata. They waited until most of his troops were gone off to battle, then Amenirras attacked the army. When Petronius returned, he found his mighty army in a standoff with the nation they considered weaker. The standoff lasted until Augustus Caesar and the Manirals were able to settle on signing a peace treaty. Over a period of 1,250 years, the kingdom of Kush was amazing and certainly one of the greatest, if not the greatest, civilization of all its time. A full Kushite year passed as she patiently awaited retaliation, for surely they would come. I beseech you, my queen, the men of the north march near Napata. The northern historian Strabo recounts how they made easy work of the pure-skinned Kushites at Selchus. Petronius, their leader, fortified his position en route to Napata. The oppression of the desert sun afflicted them, a condition unknown to them. An unsuitable, roadless country deemed unfit for superior operations wearied the mind of Petronius. Finding the endeavor hopeless, he decided upon a strategic withdrawal. Ah, a friendlier term to ease the ear of his superior. With haste, she planned her return. You see, Amanarinus needed an alliance. From the south they came, many in number. The land of the bow was ready, and skirmishes descended on the garrisons of the northmen. What shall be said this day? but that a final battle never occurred due to the political acumen of the queen. An audience was drawn for Queen Amanorinus at the island of Samos. Ambassadors, holding in their hands a bundle of golden arrows, instructed with the full confidence of the queen, sent a message to their monarch. Queen Amanorinus sends you these arrows. If you want peace, they're a token of her friendship and warmth. If you want war, keep the arrows for you're going to need them. Though faint, traces of Amanishiketo's imposing figure can still be seen on the walls of her offering chapel. She's a larger woman, so it shows how powerful she is. It's also part of the Meroitic uh, um, impression of beauty.
Uh, she's well fed. She's wearing um, a lot of bracelets on her arms, rings on her fingers. She would have been covered in gold. She was a very lucky lady to have a lot of this jewelry. Amani Giacchetto's royal cash first came to light in 1834 when an Italian explorer, Giuseppe Ferlini, traveled to the Sudan, eager, as he claimed, to make some useful contribution to history. In fact, he was really searching for gold. Ferlini hoped to make a fortune selling antiquities back in Europe. His greed led him to the pyramid fields of Meroe. According to his diary, Fellini directed his workmen to dismantle Amanishiketo's tomb at nearly a hundred feet high, one of the best preserved in the cemetery. While his men labored under the punishing rays of the desert sun, Fellini took it easy in the shade. The excitement began when a faithful servant summoned him from the top of the pyramid. I got up and raced over, my heart filled with hopes of some delightful adventure. At the summit, Fellini reported that his men had discovered a chamber hidden beneath the stones. From within emerged a bronze bowl filled with objects wrapped in cloths of linen. Fellini had hit the jackpot. As it became evening, I brought the discovered objects to my tent. And after all the servants had given over to sleep, I pulled out the precious objects and studied them with my soul filled with joy. I admired the gold, and on seeing the quantity of it, I realized it had to exceed greatly all that which I knew was spread through the museums of Europe. Fellini had discovered a dazzling hoard of jewels. Today, much of this cash is housed in Munich's Egyptian Museum. Gold bracelets covered with decorative bands of fused glass. Ornamental pendants bearing images of the gods. And dozens of heavy gold rings, some incised with the figure of Amun. This is one of the greatest treasures ever found in Nubia. It gives us a very good idea of what the kings and the queens would have been wearing at the time. Though Ferlini's raid did bring the incredible cash to light, a price was paid for the discovery. The explorer's ruthless quest for gold destroyed Amanajaketo's pyramid. bodies you got the physical you got the emotional okay you have the mental okay and then you also mental spiritual emotional and physical those are your four mental spiritual emotional and physical you have to align all four of those bodies up let me give you an example 
you might be spiritually healthy but physically unhealthy. If you're spiritually healthy, healthy and physically unhealthy, then your spirituality can only go but so far because as all the great master teachers taught that if the body is not healthy, it's going to be difficult for the mind to be at peace. Anybody who's affected with an illness, their mind is not at peace. It's very difficult to put it at peace. So when we talk about being spiritual, you can't just live in your mind. You have to understand that there's a relationship between the spirit and the body planes. And if one of them isn't healthy, it's automatically going to affect the other. Just like if you're healthy physically, but you're not healthy spiritually. You got a lot of folk who are super athletes. They run every morning. They do their push-ups. Physically, they appear in perfect health. But what they fail to realize is that those negative thoughts that they keep on feeding themselves will crystallize into not bodily manifestations. And this is how you get folk who never had a piece of meat in their life, but they still suffer from high blood pressure. How did that happen? Okay. Drunk alkaline water all their life. Okay. But now they got cancer. How is that when there's no physical evidence as to why you have this malady? A lot of it has to do with the uh, spiritual intoxication that manifests within the body. Remember, every major organ in the body is attached to a particular emotion. So whenever you experience that emotion, it is actually lodged in that particular part of the body. So when you get cancer, when you get diabetes, okay, when epilepsy develops within the brain, it's normally because of a spiritual imbalance or the stoppage of energy, the stoppage of energy. And when you hold on to grudges, you actually stop the energy of life from cycling in. See, pain, pain is weakness leaving the body. But many of us like to hold on to that weakness because we identify with it. So we want to hold it. We don't want to let it go. And some of us carry it around 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And whenever you're holding a grudge, you tend to age about five times faster. So you'll see that you'll start to look older than what you should look because you're not only living for yourself, you're living for your unhealthy pain body as well. So you want to do an assessment of yourself. Where are you mentally? By mental, we're talking about your thoughts, your cognitions, your process of interpreting your experience. That's your mental. Then we got to talk about the spiritual, your connection to the universe, the supreme source, your own internal soul. Where are you on that level? Then we got to talk about the emotional, the way in which you regulate your feelings, your emotional reactions to the things that happen to you in life. And then we got to talk about the physical, your health, what you eat, how you breathe, and your lifestyle. Lifestyle is important too. Why? Because no matter how healthy you may eat, no matter how spiritual you may be, if you don't give the spirit and the mind time to cleanse and recoup itself, it'll break down. For example, right now, a lot of black women, more than in any time of our history, are being admitted in voluntary commissions for nervous breakdowns. A lot of sisters are going to the hospitals for nervous breakdowns because a lot of us believe that to be strong women or strong men, we should never have to take a break and give our bodies and our minds time to energize that we should be able to keep on going, keep on going. But your brain isn't made like that. See, when you talk about uh, black women or black men 75 to 100 years ago, you have to remember they existed within a certain religious or spiritual milieu. So even though they worked a lot, they also had a lot of spiritual work going on at the same time. We don't have that. So it's important that you don't overload your brain because when you overload the brain, it will just shut down on you. And that's what you call a nervous breakdown. Folks are walking around on the street out of their minds. That's called brain overload. Just like you overload a computer, you can overload the brain. And one of the things we have to start practicing more is what I call spiritual indifference. Spiritual indifference. Some of us have not perfected the art of ignoring things that don't matter. Some of us choose to react emotionally to everything that come our way. You don't have to react to everything that comes your way. Pick and choose what gets your spiritual attention. Pick and choose what gets your mental attention. Pick and choose what gets your emotional attention. 
For example, I hear a lot of black folks say, well, you're not working on a job with a bunch of Europeans, and they are stressing me out. Well, automatically, we made an interpretive mistake there because nobody can stress you out. Stress is the result of your interpretation of the experience. The white man doesn't own the interpretation you do. So if you're getting stressed out, it's because you're giving them the power to stress you. At the end of the day, you make the final decision. Very important we understand that. See, we get in the habit of saying, he made me angry. She made me angry. That made me sad. Nobody can give you any emotional state. Nobody can. You choose them yourself, consciously or unconsciously. You interpreted the event in such a way that your mind had no choice but to become upset. See, all of us live our lives based on a program. And for many of us, that program was put into our minds by our parents, by our extended family, and by the society. And based on the program that you're operating your life on, some of you are destined to be depressed, destined to be anxious, destined to be alcoholic, because the way in which you interpret your world always brings about a negative reaction. Do y'all see that? Two people with the same experience could come out of it to two totally different ways. Two totally different ways. Two people get laid off, two different reactions. Two people get disrespected in public, two totally different reactions. You have to become more proactive in dealing with situations and not reactive. Save your emotions for when you need them. Emotions can do just as much good as they can do just as much damage. And too many of us are reacting too much to emotion. Whenever you react, your body automatically releases cortisol, adrenaline, which works against the immune system. People who are emotionally unhealthy also tend to be physically unhealthy. Why? Because the emotions, the emotions release toxins into your bloodstream that beat down your organs. So it is almost impossible to be physically healthy and emotionally unhealthy. One is going to destroy the other. And what we need is a balance in both of them. Next slide. Check your social network. Too many of us are hanging with people who are no good. Too many of us, because we don't like being alone, would rather hang with bad friends than no friends. Okay? Bad friends than no friends. Okay? I get folk who tell me, well, I know he don't really like me, but we grew up together. You know, and that's just how it's going to be, you know, and you knew the whole time that they were not a friend, but a friend in me. OK, an enemy in a friend's disguise. It is better to be by yourself than to be with people who don't mean you well, because when you're around people who you're not comfortable with and when you're not around people who you cannot trust, your suspicion is heightened and suspicion is a form of stress. And whenever you're always being stressed out like that, the mind begin working against itself and it never gets to take a break. See, every organ in the body is supposed to take a break, but the one that doesn't is the mind. The mind never takes a break. It runs and it runs and it runs and it runs. And most of it isn't even being ran by you, it's being ran by everybody but you. So what we have to do is retake control over our thought process to improve the way that we're living our lives. Next one, learn to love solitude. If you can't be by yourself, you won't be able to be at peace with nobody else. And too many of us don't like being alone. We always have to have somebody else with us, whether it's a significant other, whether it's a brother, sister, girlfriend, mom, dad. I always look in therapy for folks to spend time with themselves. How much do you spend time with yourself? Well, I don't have time. No, that's a cop out. That's the not. Why are you not spending time with yourself? And the reason we don't spend time with ourselves is because when you're by yourself, your subconscious automatically brings to consciousness all those unfinished tasks that you had in life people you should have got rid of, goals you should have accomplished, certain objectives that you never met. And because a lot of us 
find it painful to analyze our lives and where we've been, we would rather shut that out. And the best way to shut off the unconscious from reminding us of our shortcomings is to get somebody else to distract us. So when you find people who just got to be busy all the time, I mean, every day, every hour, they either sleep or they busy. They never at peace and by themselves. That's because there's no internal peace. And these are the type of people who do what? Rush into a relationship looking for somebody to take their mind off of themselves. And when you're no longer sufficient to distract Umar from Umar, I dump you and pick up somebody else who I think could do the job better. So you see the relationship wasn't even based on you at all. It was based on my hidden agendas, my psychological hidden agendas. And all of us have hidden agendas. You got to know what they are so you can control them without them controlling you. Very important we understand that. Next slide. You have to be by yourself. I don't care if it's an hour. I don't care if it's 30 minutes. I don't care if it's a walk during lunchtime. But it is absolutely necessary for the spirit and the mind and the body and the emotional body, those four bodies, to realign. And they do that through silence. When your mind stops activating, that's when God consciousness comes in. But most of the time, God consciousness can't come in because we're constantly distracting it with the thunder of our thoughts. So you got all this internal noise going on. So how can the subtle voice of the universe communicate to you and your chakra bodies when the mind is always agitated? saying my guess is the G's are driving that car that makes sense to me because there's white men in the G's and these people are trying to get around uh, discrimination and oppression and you know how white dudes are we know these roads in fact we built these roads the rest of you buckle up. We'll get you to where you want to go. <laughs> so the G's are just driving the car. Of course, next to the G's in the passenger seat is the L's. Everybody likes the L's, except for the G's. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. I just know the G's don't like them that much. G's always say like little subliminal digs on them. It's unnecessary shit. It's not mean, but you know what I mean? They just be like, I wouldn't wear that. China! The only thing that breaks the tension between the L's and the G's are the B's in the back seat. That's right. There you go. Everybody scream out when you hear your letter. If it's one thing that the L's and the G's agree on, this is that the B's are fucking gross. <laughs> they seem greedy to the L's and the G's, you know what I mean? They're just sitting in the backseat like, yeah, man, I'll fuck anybody in this car. What's going on, man? And sitting next to the B's, all the way in the back seat by themselves, looking out the window. That's the tease. Everybody in the car respects the tease, but 
everyone also resents the tease. It's not the tease fault, but everyone in the car just feels like the tease are making the trip take longer. <laughs> anything the tease say gets on everybody's nerves. And then the tease don't even say anything bad. They should be in the back talking to himself. I'm hot. Shut up. Shut the fuck up, okay? Just roll the window down, you bitch. I don't know what you. What? Just said I was hot. Can you pull over at the next exit? I need to use the restroom. There is not a restroom for you for four states, nigga. Will you just shut the fuck up so we can get where we're going? Just when that car can't get any more tense, the cues are a hitchhiker that they pick up on the road. Some white dude in booty shorts is walking down the freeway. Jesus, that guy might be one of us. Hey, are you okay? You need some help? And he come over there with them booty shorts leaning on the window. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Lady, whatever pronoun makes you feel comfortable in the back. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm gay or I'm straight or whatever. All I know for sure is that um, I really want to get in this car. <laughs> This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams, my childhood, with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. 
the popular idea of cutting our emissions in half in 10 years only gives us a 50% chance of staying below 1.5 degrees and the risk of setting up irreversible chain reactions beyond human control. 50% may be acceptable to you, but those numbers do not include tipping points, most feedback loops, additional warming hidden by toxic air pollution or the aspects of equity and climate justice. They also rely on my generation sucking hundreds of billions of tons of your CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist. So a 50% risk is simply not acceptable to us, we who have to live with the consequences. To have a 67% chance of staying below a 1.5 degrees of global temperature rise, the best odds given by the IPCC, the world had 420 gigatons of CO2 left to emit back on January 1st, 2018. Today, that figure is already down to less than 350 gigatons. How dare you pretend that this can be sold with just business as usual and some technical solutions? With today's emissions levels, that remaining CO2 budget will be entirely gone within less than eight and a half years. There will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today because these numbers are too uncomfortable and you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is. You are failing us, but the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Real Life the Radio Show. I am your host, Jenna Capra, alongside my partner, my brother, Brother Rise. Uh, before we get started, Brother Rise, uh, I see my man, and I can't express it, uh, I can't express it well enough. So I will ask, Brother Scotty, could you open your mic up for me, please? Please do. Ah, brother Scotty, greetings, brother Scotty. How are you doing this evening? Hey, I'm surviving like everybody else. Peace, of Jenna and uh, brother Ross. Well, hey. love to you, brother. Go ahead, Jenna. Yes, yes, much love. Uh, before we get started tonight, uh, me and you had a brief conversation about this, and uh, if you would give us the state. Hey, hey, wait a minute, you say brief every time we get on the phone, it's never brief, dog. Come on. <laughs> Uh, you get you you got me but but yes uh give us a uh give us a rundown on the uh on what's going on with the network um yeah um the network is kind of in danger of shutting down man um because our donations have pretty much dipped below the level that's needed just to maintain what we have, like I was telling you last night, in the 10 years that I've operated the Black Talk Media Project, and for those that don't know, 
it's a nonprofit um, registered here in North Carolina. Um, it manages the Black Talk Radio Network. <clears throat> and, you know, our dope, I've never taken a salary. I mean, it's just not enough coming in to pay to uh, pay myself a salary. And but that was that was OK, you know, because I didn't go into this to, to make money. I went into this because I saw a need in our community. And, you know, I pretty much um, with the help of a few hundred uh, donors been able to to maintain for for twenty uh, ten years. I'm about to say 20 years. I hope we around another 10 years. So. You know, um, our, our donations are not really coming in like they should uh, in relation to how many downloads. You know, in the 10 years, man, we've had over 2 million uh, downloads, either directly from the network or through other platforms that we distribute all the content through. So, you know, we got an award uh, ranked the number one black digital uh, radio and podcasting platform in the world. And, you know, that that's all good, but awards don't pay bills, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, you know, that's where we at, man. I'm hoping, um, you know, that we'll be able to go into year year 11. But right now, man, I, I tell you, uh, I'm struggling uh, to keep things running. Man, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure you'll come back in throughout the uh throughout the program but uh that was something that's this should be very near and dear to all of us uh some of us have been listening the entire 10 years whether you knew it or not um a lot of you uh check out the cows which is a part of that 10 years uh, a lot of you check us out from time to time we have been here a few years ourselves and there's a lot of other programs that that do a lot of justice whether it's just changing your mindset uh giving you ideas to uh to further along your finances whether it may be in uh real estate stock options uh purchasing silver and gold uh, i know there's a lot of us who never even thought about uh preparation as far as getting ready for uh shit hit the fan situation uh tando was was very very uh equipped to handle that and the frustrating part about all of this is is that we check out these youtube videos and uh some of the foolishness and what have you because it's entertainment um and we always need that entertainment uh speaking to what what uh Uma Johnson was talking about, just getting that time to yourself, whether you just enjoying yourself or or by yourself checking out some videos, trying to learn something, trying to get a laugh because you had a hard week, day, hour, what what have you. Uh but the discouraging thing about it is is that only the foolishness seems to get any type of donations. I'm not sure if everyone knows the the length and the sacrifice it takes to uh prepare for these shows week in and week out uh and then to have somebody question you when you're not showing up when we're the only ones putting anything towards this now nobody has to uh nobody has to help and that's a given but when 
But when you enjoy something so much, it's only so much of it that's going to be free. Remember, we all have families as well. But uh, that's another show. I just, uh, when I seen you on here, Brother Scotty, I wanted to uh, rehash that because I was going to speak about it, but it it comes out better from you. Uh, I'm still a little bit upset because I see people who absolutely tell lies on their shows, whether it's YouTube, uh, talk radio, or what have you, just completely uh, spreading falsehoods. And they are reaping so much money in. And it's not that I'm watching their pockets, but all at the same time, when I see those super chats go in and I know it's BS, it does make me feel some kind of way. Well, maybe I'm wrong for that. I'm not you sure. Still hear me? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, you know, just um, share a little bit more about our conversation when we were talking about YouTube. Um, People that's on YouTube, other than their cameras, um, other than their microphones, you know, some some of them, they have an elaborate system, some of them don't. But that's basically their only cost, because YouTube is free, okay? Anybody can get on YouTube. YouTube doesn't charge anyone. And we we are maintaining our own platform. So it's not free. You know what I'm saying? It's not like we using... Yep somebody else's free service no uh, i kept hearing back in 2008 and before 2008 when we were on blog talk radio along with the cows used to be on blog talk radio and you know um i got suspended because of racism um black talk radio's racist what about white talk radio and all these white racists complaining and i get suspended for a week for no good reason although that suspension was lifted after three days after an outrage because we're still very popular. We still distribute the blog, you know, but we don't do any live program. We just distribute. They don't even charge us to distribute anymore because they're making money off the content, you know? And so, you know, I had thoughts about that. Well, they making money off of it. We not. But the whole point of the network was to get information out to black people, not to make money. You understand what I'm saying? So they not even charging me because when I was going to close the account to save money, they was like, well, we're going to give you a free account. And so I just kept using it. You know what I'm saying? Like Sun Tzu said, you can use your enemy's resources. You doubled your own. Um, and, and, and so that's why I decided to keep distributing uh, through there. Um, but it cost us it cost us it cost us to have have two different servers one for the uh platform one for the social media um social media site we have btrcommunity.com and the radio server all of that costs cost money and then the time like you alluded to that we put in, in into this and then what makes it so bad is most of the people on youtube are not tax deductible Okay, they are not nonprofits. They're either for profits or they're individuals. And so when you give them a donation, you can't write that off your taxes because it's not a nonprofit. And so we're non we're a nonprofit and we still and people can recoup that little twenty dollars or fifty dollars or hundred dollars when they do their taxes, but we still struggle to get those donations and, and that's the frustrating part of it, Jerry. But I just wanted to share that. But if you could put me back on mute. <laughs> All right, Brother Scott, we appreciate you, man. 
Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to speak to this this situation too because um, it it is like man, it, it what Scotty's done is something that's never been done. A black man saw a niche after being mistreated and abused on white platforms. Always remember that whoever owns the platform basically, you know, tells you what tune to play. And because Scotty had such, such a um, powerful draw and an ancestral draw, because we've talked about that before, to actually get information out to his people, he sat there, took all of that communications and technology that he learned in the military and converted it into this platform with his own money. He didn't have to do that. And, you know, the crazy part about it is that I've seen Scotty just invest his life, his heart, his blood, his sweat into making this what is now known as the, the, the biggest platform, independent platform. And that's the key word, independent. Ain't nobody putting money in his pocket and telling him this is what you have to talk about. Ain't nobody, you know, greasing his palms on the side or none of that. It's something he's doing himself out of love, out of dedication, out of actually rev actual revolutionary spirit. And, you know, the crazy part is you had the brother, I forget what city he was in. These um, black women were being mistreated in the nail salon. So he got pissed and he actually took rocks and blew out the windows. He told the sisters, leave the store because he about to demo the whole store so that they can't make money in his, in his community while they're mistreating black women. And the next day, with the windows boarded up and everything, they had a full house of sisters up in there getting their nails done. So there's no respect, there's no black self-respect that's generating a holistic collective mentality towards doing things in our own best interest. And the greatest problem that we have as a people is misinformation coming from people that look like us. There's so many people that look like us that are invested because they're making money. All they care about is your money. They, they're just as capitalist as, as, as the colonizers who we know are the ultimate capitalists because they dealt in flesh before anything else. The original black goal was black people. So that same mentality has so infected and infested us as a collective group of people that even when people stand up for us as a collective, we don't show out to help those people. And with the information that we provide and attempt to provide on this network, it is all about trying to give the best information so that people aren't walking around with, with misunderstandings. There's a whole lot of um, what they call a Dunn's-Kruger effect people walking around. And that's a mental illness where a person who is not actually skilled to a task actually believes they're the best at what they do. And there's a psychology behind that. Maybe next week we'll play a clip that deals with Dunn's-Kruger effect because they talk about how there's so many people in the world. And they say that people who are actually really good at what they do, they tend to think that they're inadequate, even though they're actually out excelling. And the people who are the most ignorant are the ones who have the most to say. They got the, they're, they're the most boisterous and they'll, they'll tout things that aren't true about themselves. They're the greatest this and they're the biggest that. And when you start to really get through the, the information they're putting out there, it's trash. And then the crazy part is they're making millions of dollars off of trash. And then you have people who are putting out authentic information. And the sad part is the authentic information is what people don't want to hear. They prefer the sensationalism. They prefer the nonsense. They prefer the bickering. It is ridiculous the levels to which we have fallen as a collective on a psychological and psychosocially, psychosocial level that we are literally just, I call it the Kardashian age. We just all into all the microwave nonsense. 
you know, you, you just put it out there back to back to back and we'll just suck it all up. And then we turn it into all of these stupid discussions that make no sense while the world around us is completely falling apart. And like Dr. Umar said, it's all about a distraction. Remember, the new drug is the technology you hold in your hand. That's why they call it the attention economy. Yes. People are vying for your attention because they're making dollars and cents off of holding your attention. And if what the only thing that you allow to hold your attention is trash, you're going to get out, you're going to put out what you put in. So you hear a lot of black people talking about the most outlandish things and they really swear in their heart. They know what the heck they're talking about. And then you'll have people who have put in the work. I've been studying under some of our greatest scholars since I was five, six years old. We're talking in the 70s. So this is something that has been a lifelong thing for me. Even when I was running the street doing dumb stuff, I was still actually studying. I was still reading. I read Dr. Wilson's book when I was 16. And I was in the midst of doing all kinds of criminal dirt and, and crimes of opportunity, as Scotty so truthfully and eloquently put it on many previous occasions. And even in that, I was able to say, I need to sit down and read a book. So, I mean, the, 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 and as an adult, I, I put in even more time because I realized that I wasted so much time doing things that I didn't have any business doing. And if I dedicated all my time to just actual study and improving myself and my knowledge of the world and, and who I am and understanding these things on an intimate level, I would probably be another 20 years ahead of myself in knowledge than I am now. And most people who know me personally or who have met me personally will say, darn, you super smart, man. And to me, I don't know anything. And that's, the, and that's the way I look at everything in life. I've, you never reach a plateau where you know everything. You have to always be open to getting new information, processing it, vetting that information. And if it's something you can utilize, you put it in your toolkit. If it's something that, that doesn't make sense, you discard what you don't need and you keep it moving. We spend so much time on the personalities behind the nonsense. We're looking at the messenger all the time and don't receive the message. Even when Trump, Trump as, as, as psychotic and criminal as he is, sometimes he speaks the truth. But because yeah. it's Trump, people discard all the stuff that he's saying. And it's like, nah, in this particular instance, he's telling you the truth. But because it's coming from an orange-haired psychopath, we, we turn our back to it. So you have to start looking at what people are saying and vet that information. That's why when I do talk about subjects or I've given lectures or I write essays, I put books, I put all the information that I personally utilize or as much of it as I can to come to the understanding of the world and that subject the way that I have. And I say, well, if you want to understand what has facilitated my, my understanding of this particular situation in this way and viewing it from this angle, this is what it is. And when I study something, I don't just look for confirmation bias. I don't just study what I think the situation is. I even look at the people who are enemies of the thought. So that because sometimes you'll find gems in people who are against what you think something is. And you might have to shift your perception and your understanding based on what other people have said or what they've put out there. So it's about being holistic in your approach and not one-sided and not looking for stuff that just soothes your ego. And remember, that's all Google does. That's why I laugh when people are like, what would Dr. Benningham have done with Google? Not a damn thing, because these were men who actually went out in the field, turned the spade over in the soil. They actually read books. They could bring, read, talk to you about books from the 1700s, the 1600s, the 1800s, the early 1900s. This, that's, Dr. Clark alone had over 100,000 books in his personal library which he dedicated to um, the Schomburg Center, if I remember correctly. Dr. Ben had close to about the same amount, which I think he gave to the Nation of Islam to do something with, if I remember correctly. I could be incorrect about that. But the bottom line is these were men who were looking at things that don't change. When you pick up a book, in order for that book to change, 
you have to have a new edition, which basically includes the new information or the changes that were made to the original. When you're dealing with the internet, some of these platforms are just the push of a button and you change your facts all over the place. You know, like um, Wikipedia. You can, anybody could sign on Wikipedia and change what's in Wikipedia, but some people swear by Wikipedia. And this is not to jump on anyone, but Dan Calloway was caught taking complete scientific articles and lying and putting aboriginal where they're talking about different groups of people and claiming stuff that wasn't true. He was busted so many times lying, but he has millions of followers. He gets millions of views and he's generating millions of dollars. And this is no dig on the brother. He's doing the best he can. But the truth is when, you're, when things are brought to your awareness about what you're doing that is incorrect and then you get belligerent and ignorant and nasty and you're going on YouTube making videos about all kinds of stupidity about these people who are actually pulling your coat to like, brother, you being disingenuous and you got millions of black people following you because you're confirming their bias about something that you actually don't know what the heck you're talking about yourself. And, that, and that, again, it's no dig on him. He's a black male like me. I'm not trying to be anti-black, but this is just the, the honest facts about some of the stuff that he's doing on there. Is everything he's saying false? No. But there's a great deal of it that's straight trash that people just, they'll put their hands on a stack of Bibles and swear in the court of law that this dude is telling the truth. And I just laugh like, dude, are you serious right now? And that's because I put in the frigging research. And then you have other people that have put in the research and they'll put out YouTube videos completely exposing it and nobody pays attention if they're quote unquote on his side. Cause they like to, it's like the WWE. Everybody's just taking sides and whoever they, whoever agree, they agree with the most is who they run with, whether they're right or wrong. And that is the worst, that, that's, that's not education. That's edited dictation. He's editing what he's dictating to you because you think something is a certain way. You haven't confirmed it for yourself. You haven't done the research, but what he's saying sounds right. And he puts it in a nice video that's glossed up and dressed up and edited. You think it's correct and you run with it. And then you have platforms like this where Scotty vets everything. And we have, we have conversations even online on BTR community. Sometimes certain articles will come out and he'll be like, yo, Ross, that, that was completely um, debunked. And he'll put up the information. And I say, thank you. I don't sit there and argue with him about it. Because if what, he, if what I'm looking at is something that's incorrect, I don't know everything. So I look for people sometimes to be my checks and balance, and especially people I trust who I know are people who are seeking truth. And Scotty's one of those people. Jenna's one of those people. And there's a few others. That I, that I will, A, when they reach out to me, I will, okay, I'm, I'm going to hear this. I'm going to see what they're talking about. And once I figure out it's garbage, I will remove it or I'll just actually respond like this is some nonsense. There was an accidental post right here. Because you have to be able to say when you're incorrect as, as well as being able to say when you're correct. And when people run around like they know everything and they're never, never wrong, you got to watch people like that. Hey, I'll stop there. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. Yeah, I need to go on those yeah, hands. Yeah, a great segue. <laughs> I want to jump right into this. Uh, something stuck with me with the uh, Uma, with the uh, mm-hmm. Uma uh, video, Quit. and it was the uh, the organs and emotions. So mm-hmm. I had this prepared. I was going to start with this, but I had to get that out the way about the network and uh, absolutely. You know we. We 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 really do need some help, <clears throat> and that's on a as a collective, and in individually. Um, but no more on that. Uh, straight to the organs. Uh, I just want to give out these organs for those of you who didn't know. And I'm grabbing this from uh from mindvalley.com. It's a it's a blog, <clears throat> but it has a great breakdown as far as uh. <clears throat> 
your emotions and how they affect your organs. And the first one is we're going to start off with is the uh, the lungs, skin, and large intestines. And in those areas, it holds grief. And it goes as follows. According to traditional medical systems, grief and sadness are felt in the lungs, skin, and large intestines. Sadness depletes your body of energy and can cause chest pains, tightness, and shortness of breath. In TCM, lungs are the <clears throat> excuse me, lungs are in charge of controlling your pores which is why skin issues like dryness and sensitivity can be a result of lung of lung problems but positive emotions like pride and courage are also felt in the lungs uh kidneys ears bladder and that's where you get fear uh these organs are the first to respond to fear once you feel it your fight or flight response is triggered and adrenaline floods your body the adrenaline glands are responsible for dealing with psychological response and have <clears throat> and have you ever felt like you were going to empty your bladder <laughs> when in a state of severe fear? This is because fear relaxes the bladder. Liver as gallbladder. Now that's anger and generosity. Feelings of anger and rage affect your liver and travel travel upwards to your head. This can cause migraines, dizziness, lack of clarity, and many other strong bodily sensations. Melabolic, um, I can't say that, so I'm going to spell it. Uh, M-E-L-A-N-C-H-O-L-I-C. Oh, say it again, Rob. Melancholic. melancholic, like melancholy. Melancholic. Okay, melancholic yeah. emotions like worry and pervasiveness also impact your liver but in a different way these are often less powerful but they last longer and can cause digestive issues and problems with your gallbladder the main positive emotion associated with these organs are generosity and kindness this is why people say you can often tell that someone is a kind person by simply looking into their eyes impatience and love and this lives in the heart and in the small intestines as one of the vital organs in your body your heart reacts to strong emotions of hate or impatience these emotions can lead to heart to heart problems brain excuse me brain fog insomnia and many other unpleasant sensations and disorders the heart is also responsible for love and happiness since the heart is a universal, a universal symbol of love, this connection may not come as a surprise. Now, the next ones are anxiety and trust. And that, that operates within the spleen, the stomach, and the pancreas. The gut feeling, quote unquote, that many people believe, believe in is very real. There's a strong connection between your gut and brain. So it comes as no surprise that it's affected by strong emotions anxiety is felt in the spleen stomach and pancreas excessive worry can trigger many digestive issues and negatively impact your overall quality of life people with emotional disturbances are more prone to constipation uh static colon and irritable irritable bowel syndrome 
Irritable, oh, irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah, IBS. But on the flip side, many positive emotions I felt in these organ in these organs, including trust, openness, and vulnerability. Why is this important? Understanding that your body and mind are connected is crucial to your overall health. By making positive lifestyle changes, like a healthy diet, meditation, and regular exercise, you support both your physical and mental health. I just wanted to share that to go with the, because uh, when I seen that clip, uh, some of the stuff I already knew, some of it I didn't, but it made me want to go a little bit deeper to try to understand not not what he was saying per se, but what I had been feeling that he made me aware of mm. while I was looking for it. Cause I done had some of these symptoms and never know where they come from. And considering that we deal in a lot of health issues here on this show, I'm prone to uh telling when me and my aunts, uncles, cousins, and and close friends get to talking, it has become customary for them to tell me about their problems with them thinking that I had a solution to give in return. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, uh, but they look forward to me answering those questions now. Call me up out of the blue. I ain't talked to them in months. Don't say hi, how you doing, how them babies doing, and none of that. Just straight to it. Hey, man, I got this such and such issue. What what you think I need to be doing? And even though it sucks, again, kind of like the show, you know, I'm giving out all of this information that I took my time and resources to figure out. And although I'm glad that it's helping you, at some point, it just become, uh, you know, you need to learn to fish for yourself type of uh, scenario. A one-way exchange. But I couldn't think of no other way to put it. But with that, I let you uh speak on this before we uh sure. get to the next one. Absolutely, yeah. Um, like I said, it becomes a one-way energy exchange, and it becomes draining. And if you're an empath, it's even worse because you're actually tuning into the frequency of that person and absorbing whatever emotions they carry. My wife is a serious empath, so she can't be around negativity or, you know, she don't watch anything scary or horror movies or none of that for that reason. Like that stuff gets in her and it, it causes her a lot of distress. Now, the thing is, um, Dr. Umar was talking about something and it made me think, um, when you look at the any image of the Sphinx, in the Nile Valley, not just Kemet, but in the entire complex, you'll find sphinxes all over. That one of the main re uh, meanings of that particular symbol, Hor and Maquette is the Kemetic name, is the mind mastering the animal nature. So the intellect should always be above and in charge of your animal nature. And each emotion is a frequency. And emotions are states of trance. I want to say that again. Every emotion that exists is a state of trance. So if you catch an emotion early in its beginning stages, you can shift your vibration to something else with the right input and remove that emotion, whether it's anger, whether it's rage, whether it's you know intense feelings of love when you're getting into an intimate setting with your loved one, or any of those emotions can be shifted if you catch it early enough and it's all directed by the breath as well. That's, that's a major component of that. Once you allow that emotion to, to, to 
to take control, after a certain length of time, it's beyond your control because you start moving on autopilot. And when you start moving on autopilot, that's when you hear people say, you know, I cheated on you, honey. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. So if you would have caught it early, you would have been able to walk away from that without making any mistakes that could potentially ruin your marriage. But because you completely indulge that frequency and you're looking into the eyes of that other party and they're telling you what you want to hear, maybe stuff that you're not getting from your significant other. Usually when a person cheats, it's because there's something that's missing in their relationship. And that, that thing or those couple of things that the partner is not providing is so important to you that when somebody else provides it, it removes all the other things that they do for you that are wonderful and do with you and help you to grow as a human being and to be a whole person. You discard all of that, however many years you've been with them, for the little bit of stuff that this person's providing in the moment, and then it becomes uh, an, an, an emotional attachment to that person, and you end up in a situation that you don't want. Anger, same thing. You know, if you catch anger in its early stages, you can quell it. If you don't, you can end up committing murder and, and, and not even know how you got that far. <laughs> so Man. always understand that the main thing with controlling the mind when he was talking about this silence, because that's something that I've made a lifelong thing. I practice meditation very regularly. Um, and it, it, the, the chatter in the brain that he was talking about in the mind is controlled by the breath. As you slow the breath down, you'll find that you can actually ignore the thoughts that come and go. It's almost like you're a third party watching the thoughts pass through your mind. and You can ignore them, which will allow you to tap into the frequency of the creator when the creator is trying to communicate with you. In a, and it's usually in a very quiet, calm manner. Quick question. Yes, sir. Are, uh, are you speaking from experience of or, yes. or are yes. you? Okay. No, no, I'm speaking from experience. I was going to say, if people want to really understand what Dr. Johnson was talking about, and even a deep, much deeper understanding of what you read in that article, a great book is Metunetta Volume 1. Um, Ra'una Fairy Men really goes into the meditative process and the power of the breath over controlling thoughts in the mind and actually silencing those rogue thoughts that you pop. You can't control the thoughts consciously, but by, but by consciously controlling your breath, you gain mastery over your thoughts in the moments of meditation. And if you become proficient at meditating, you can meditate while in activity. And they call it moving meditation. That's what Tai, tai Chi is known as. These people are actually doing different moves and they're moving in these slow, fluid manners, but they're actually in a state of meditation. And some of them can reach really high states of meditative trance, even though they're physically moving. So, and these are things that I've experienced myself. He goes into that in depth in the book. He also goes into the organ system and how the deities that are connected to each organ system. And um, also when, you, when you're out of balance, how different illnesses manifest through those organ systems. And it can be mental imbalance, uh, physical imbalance, dietary imbalance, you name it. He goes into it in depth in that text. And um, I think it'll really facilitate a more holistic understanding of you as a human being, as a, as a person, and you striving for that perfection that we all should be striving for as far as bettering ourselves to the, to the utmost, um, as far as reaching the highest heights of us expressing ourselves in the way that the creator put us down here to do. Because really, you know, that's why there's, there's a comedic saying that, that compares uh, the creator to an ocean of consciousness. And each human being is a, considered a drop out of the consciousness the ocean of the creator's consciousness. So we have the same qualities as the deity, but on a smaller quantity because we're individual units. 
And, right. and as you express those things, you are allowing the creator to express itself through you. And that's the, the, the beauty of, of interacting with other people. That's why we're social creatures. Because when we interact with other people, you end up seeing the deity in other people. So if you become more in tune with that, a lot of the things that we indulge in that we shouldn't, we end up learning how to shed those things in a really, really good way that allows us to be free of those things. They call those fetters in chemistry. They call them fetters of isfet. Isfet is basically negativity, opposition. Um, some people will classify it as evil, wickedness. Those things are easier to shed when you're striving for perfection in a holistic manner. So um, I just wanted to kind of elaborate on on that a little Real bit more. But go ahead, brother. Real quick, but uh, give that give that text out one more time, if you would. Sure, sure. I'll spell it. It's M E T U. That's Metu, and Netter N E T E R. And the author is Ra R A Un U N Nefer N E F E R Amen, as in Amen that you say at the end of your prayer. That's the brother who wrote the text. He's um he had probably one of the oldest Kemetic uh, temples in the country, um and his his uh his spiritual system is something that's practiced internationally. So you have temples in Trinidad, you have temples in Belize. You have temples um, all across the United States, and Brooklyn was his original temple up in Bed-Stuy. I believe he has a temple on the West Coast, um, but he has them all over the world. And pretty much it's the comedic system of spiritual cultivation that, that he's created. Um, and also another good brother whose texts really go deep into the meditative process and yoga and dietary, um, dietary um, ways of enhancing your life experience on this planet is um, Muata Ashby. His um, beginning series of books are called Egyptian Yoga, and he goes into the origins of yoga in Africa in the Nile Valley. Um, and basically, he has books dealing with how it spreads to India and how Buddhism started and came and spreads to India, which Sheikh Anthony Jope talked about since, you know, like the 60s, and he wrote his text um, and whatnot, or the 50s. And um, so this is all stuff that I've been dealing with for over 20, what, 25 years now, because I've been practicing this for like 25, 26 years now. Um, so it's something that I know intimately because that's actually my way of life, you know. So I just wanted to kind of toss that stuff out there for people who might be speaking on that level as far as really, really trying to um, improve themselves psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. And like um, Dr. Umar was saying, putting those bodies together in tandem to work with each other synergistically um, and holistically the way that they were designed to by the creator because we do things and live in ways that allows them to go out of balance. Both of my maternal grandparents died of massive heart attacks, and both of them had serious issues with, you know, connecting with love and things like that and being, um, uh, having negative situations happen with other family members surrounding people that you care about, you know? So, um, and, and, you know, my grandmother, she, she had a temper that was legendary. I have a horrible temper, so I've, I've made it since my early 20s when I really, really decided to leave the childish street stuff behind. I've made that my focus as far as like really, really controlling my temper. So I totally um, understand what Dr. Umar was talking about in, in relation to the emotions and how they throw you out of balance and the different um, issues that can arise from not taking care of those things. So I just wanted to toss that out there. So we can move on from that if you want to. Unless you have something else you wanted to throw in. Oh, who's that? That's why I break. Gotcha. You are now tuning into. Real Life, the radio show with myself, Rox, and my co-host, Jenna Kepra, um, via 
Black Talk Radio Network and Foundational Radio Network. If you wish to chime in, please give us a call at 719-284. I lost the number again. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, The number is... Need some help, bro. Yes, sir. It's on 719-284-5271. And the pin is 76037. Um, if you wish to chime in, just enter seven zero seven six zero three seven and press pound. Um, and we'll be able to, you know, know that you're putting your hand up to speak and we'll get right to you. Um, yeah. So did you have anything you wanted to chime in with before we end the break? Just come back. Okay. So I need more than kudos and a high five Cause I went from sidelines to the limelight And I shine bright eyes, cold bars, Klondike And I never move with the white, the same blind side, oh Finite, but you feel the spirit, whole flow, shine light, so glow. Every lyric in Coco, so most Coco, favorite nine light Rondo on my glow when I pivot. Oh, most sheep won't move like love. That's why I be on my own. My mama thought I was a Pretty dope, in my opinion. Hope y'all enjoyed that. But uh, with that being said, speaking of Dave Chappelle, let's jump yeah. right to that. <laughs> That's a, we on the same wavelength tonight. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, that was one of my favorite parts of the of the um the most recent special that he had was dealing with the um the alphabet community, and it is really something that you have uh, these different forms of sexual orientation, which were considered mental illnesses, because that's really what they are. You're talking about um gender dys- dysmorphia and body dysphoria or vice versa, um, gender dysmorphia and, and um, body dysphoria. I can't remember it now because the two terms kind of are used interchangeably. With When someone looks in the mirror and they see something that isn't there. So in other words, you're born with a penis, but you see a vagina, you see breasts where there are none. And these are mental illnesses that have now been given um, pretty much a jurisdiction in society that 
is, is calling it a lifestyle, and they removed it from the DSM, which is pretty much the Bible of, of mental health, which deals with all kinds of mental illnesses. And it's really interesting because when they, we talked about the fact that they had that study where they pretty much dealt with um, almost half a million people uh, to try and find the quote-unquote gay gene, which would have pretty much given credence to when um, homosexuals or other people who practice some form of deviant sexual expression uh, and that's how it was actually listed. So it, was, it was considered deviant. It wasn't considered normal. So deviant, the term deviant has taken on a really negative connotation with all this politically correct, you know, um, power that these people have been given. And like I said, I don't believe anybody should be abused or mistreated. You know, whatever you, you, know, you want to do with their personal life, that is not a problem. The issue is when you take it publicly and you try to force it on everyone else. No one's trying to force heterosexuality on these people. They're trying to force their ways of life on people who don't want it. Whether it's the black, young black male who had the long hair and they told him either he should um, braid his hair or put him in a dress. Yeah. Uh, you had the, the young girl, 10 years old in the UK, who was, uh, I think, Jehovah Witness or one of the Christian sects. And when they were teaching her about deviant sexuality, she said she doesn't believe this should be taught to children. And they expelled her from school for two weeks. You had another guy in the UK that was about 16 who stopped his teaching in the middle of class. Like, why are we learning this? And he was expelled. Matter of fact, they kicked him completely out of the school and he was cursed out by his white male teacher. So this is something. And, and if you study the history of Rome, now, mind you, being gay and, and practicing pederasty, which is um, males having uh, deviant sex with young boys. That was a norm in their society. They only had sex with women to procreate. They believed the highest expression of, of love was between two men or a boy and a male, and, a, and an older male. And if you study Rome, when Rome was collapsing, the sexual deviance was, was completely over the top. It, it was just so far reaching really? that it was a major part of the fall and collapse of Rome, not just, not just the financial situation in Rome, but the social situation had gotten so toxic that there was just no cohesiveness in the society. And we're seeing that in America. Before Recently, we talked. Go ahead. Us, before you get too mm -hmm. deep, can you, uh, this is going to be interesting for all of the listeners. Can you give us uh, the title that they gave those people who was uh, taking those boys over there in Europe? Um, they were mentors. They were mentors. Yeah, the term mentor actually comes from the story of mentor and Telemachus and pretty much um, Telemachus was the son of Odysseus, and Odysseus had to go on a mission. So if I remember, because we read that story on the show, but if I remember correctly, he left Telemachus in the care of Mentor. And during the time that Odysseus was away, Mentor, which, and, and they have, they talk about, um, in the term, the meaning of the term Mentor, they talk about being a confidant. And being a confidant is someone with which you share, share a secret. The question is, what kind of secret? And the secret was, that in Greece, they called it putting manhood or no, injecting manhood into the buttocks. So that's what they considered sodomy. Sodomy was a man with a, with a boy in this instance, injecting manhood, which was really semen, into this boy's buttocks. So this is the mentality you're dealing with here. And I talked about the fact, because I wrote an essay about this dealing with white supremacy, that in ancient Greece, the term gymnasium means to exercise naked. So when, they would, when the adults in Greece would send their children to the gymnasium, they knew that these children would be around males, older males, and they would be actually exercising butt naked. 
And on the way, they had the, 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 the rape of boys got so, um, was such an epidemic that they had to hire uh, what they call pedagogues. And these were people who were hired to protect the children of the wealthy on their way to the gymnasium because they would literally, it was almost like prostitution row where they'll be walking by and there'll be men, you know, picking out the cutest boys that's walking down the street. Some of them would just straight take them. You know what I mean? Like straight take them in some alley and rape them or take them into some, one of the, um, the houses of ill repute well, and rape them there. Yeah, so they had these people who, who had took advantage of them for the uh, right. younger listeners. Exactly. And what happened was um, eventually there was a system where some of these men would pay off the pedagogues pedagogues weren't necessarily treated right. They were kind of like enslaved to, the, to their parents and they weren't treated right and they weren't paid properly. So they would get money on the side. And as a result, they would allow certain people's children to be misused like that. So this is documented. So what I'm saying is you're looking at this society now. We recently talked about the fact that, and I had the article, I, didn't ha I don't have it tonight, but we dealt with it before, where pedophiles are fighting to become a part of the alphabet community. And if you study the homosexuals, LGBTQ, whatever other letters you put in it, they're trying to distance themselves from that because they're saying that modern homosexuals aren't into that. But again, if you study what Dr. Welton said as a, as a mental health practitioner and Dr. Umar Johnson as a mental health practitioner, they both said 95% of the black and brown people who they treated um, that were homosexual they, they basically found that the driving force for them being homosexual was being misused, abused, and pedophilically raped before the age of 12. So there's an intimate tie between homosexuality and pederasty. Historically, that is playing itself out today. And in San Francisco, there was an article I had here. It's um, from Humans Are Free, and they were talking about the fact, humansarefree.com, that in San Diego State, I'm going to just read a, section, a couple sections out of it. San Diego State University is teaching students that pedophilia could merely be considered to be an alternative, quote-unquote, sexual orientation. This comes months after we learned that school officials in California think it's, quote-unquote, really important to teach children about pedophilia and pederasty in the classroom because it is a, quote-unquote, sexual orientation. Quote, an actual topic we discussed in class today at State University after watching an eight-minute Vice News video showcasing self-identified pedophiles. This is going to be mainstreamed, unquote, tweeted Alex Mazzara. So this is, this is what they're doing. They're normalizing it, and they're psychosocially conditioning the public to accept it because they're going down the same path that Rome went, where you're going to openly see older men with little boys, and it's going to be considered normal. We had the, the situation last year where the U.S. government allowed over 5,000 people into this country, most of them men who are married to little girls as young as 11 and 12 years old. They were married to these girls in other countries. They came here and they were given citizenship. So they're able to legally be married and pretty much rape their, their 12, 11 year old child that they bought from whatever country they came from. And these were white men. And the government sanctioned that. We get, we're, we've been getting stories for months about the children disappearing on the border that were put in cages that are disappearing. And there were certain politicians and senators that came out and said these children are being lost to the to the sex trade. So there's a lot of this going on. And that, like I said, no one should be mistreated for whatever they feel they need to do as far as their sexual expression. But pedophilia is not a sexual orientation. It is a sickness. It is the sickest you can be in this society. 
and for them to move towards normalizing it. Because remember, all of the stuff used to happen to our ancestors. Like, we don't remember. A lot of black children on the plantation never had bottoms. They used to only give them tops with no underwear, no pants, no nothing. So they were barefoot, even in the snow. They would just have tops and no bottoms on. Girls, boys, didn't matter. And these children were being sexually violated. Christopher Columbus in his own journal said when he first landed in Central America, the first thing he did, he described it as locked himself up with four boys. They were around the age of 12 and 13, which means he pretty much locked himself up with these four Native American boys and raped them. That's the first thing he did when he landed here was find some little boys to rape. So this ain't new. This ain't new. And we're being fed this in a way that's completely conditioning us to accept it as normal, just like we were being fed after they removed the, um, the, the designation of homosexuality and deviant sexual behavior from the DSM and made it a lifestyle. All of a sudden you had disco, which was propagating the homosexuality. You had, um, you had the drug trade that was fueling the sexual activity of homosexual men, which facilitated, facilitated the spreading of AIDS during the 80s, the late 70s into the 80s. So there's a systematic move, and, and it's mostly really to, to, when it's being put on black people, it's to condition us to basically commit genocide against ourselves, because anyone who's homosexual is not able to have children. There's a reason for that, because nature is not going to spread something that doesn't propagate life. And you have more and more of our people running into this lifestyle and becoming a part of it. And through that recent genetic study, it's showing that it is a choice. It is no one is born gay. That's just what it is. The only way that a person could be born gay, in my opinion, is if they were chemically altered in the womb or epigenetically altered in the womb, where there's the trigger of some genes that, you know, push them out the womb where they come, come with the predisposition towards that. And then, of course, because they said in the study pretty much that sexual orientation is, is 25% of it is genetic. The other 75 is environmental. So if you're around parents that are telling you that as a little boy that you're a little girl because they see you sashay around, then essentially they're grooming you towards that lifestyle. Like Charlize Theron was gro is grooming that young black male she kidnapped. I call it adopt abduction because I really don't believe in um, white people adopting black children because that's, that's where they really infuse these things. If they're into that, they infuse those things most acutely in children in those intimate family settings like that. And I just don't think it's correct in the system of white supremacy. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. I don't want to run off on a tangent on this. If you want to chime in on it and give me your perspective and take on it, go ahead. There's a lot I could say on this that will probably take us to the end of the show, but I, I'll just stop there. No, you you know I normally try to uh, cut it off a little early. I was I was thinking it. I was thinking it. Uh, it it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. But it's a uh, I think it's a necessary conversation because a lot of times we uh we tend to find out that the people that it, we didn't even know was homosexual are the ones that take advantage of our children. You know, the, the people who are Absolutely. openly out, they be out and, and, you know, they treat your children like family. I, I still don't, you know, let them roam around freely, uh, family or not, but, you know, it's a respect there. But then, like I stated, you know, those that they call in the closet or what have you who haven't came out and announced that they were uh, gay publicly normally be the uh, the people who are mistreating these children and sometimes these teenagers. So it's something that we have to. It I'm not sure what to do, man. It's uh, 
because the initial reaction will be to uh to hurt them something serious but in mm-hmm. today's climate you know that's just another reason for us to get locked up whether it's a a good reason for it or not uh they they are protected under the law with fierceness so yeah. and you know, you know the crazy part is on how you handle these situations go ahead i was gonna say the crazy part is the, the way that it works because if you truly were born a certain way you can't flip-flop you just are what you are and the thing is with being gay because being black you can't change that your skin color is going to be what it is till the day they put you in the ground but being gay you could you you can call yourself transgender one day dress up as a woman and use the woman's bathroom and the next day you say i feel like a man and go right back in the men's group it's that simple you just have to hey i don't feel like a girl today i feel like a girl today like it's that simple and it doesn't make sense. It's literally adults playing make-believe and playing dress-up. And it's being touted as this lifestyle, and I don't understand it. It's something I will never be able to put my mind into because that's just, <laughs> it's just beyond my purview for me to understand that. And science is now proving everything that they've been saying for the last 40 years completely incorrect in regards to being born this way and all of this stuff, it is a choice. You choose who you have sex with, just like you can choose to wear makeup, a woman's makeup and panties one day, and you can choose as a male not to do do so the next day. It's no different than some of the white people who call themselves anti-racist or counter-racist, and one day they could just shed all of that and go back to being white people. They could have been with all these different so-called revolutionaries locked in arms with Martin Luther King, the whole nine. And then one day they wake up and say, you know what? I ain't doing that no more. I'm just going to go back to being white. It's a simple decision. And we are so wrapped up in this. Go ahead. What you're saying, brother? It happens all the time, but uh, I want to Mm -hmm. cut you off real quick. Uh, Right now we are at at our bottom 30. So what I would like to do now is open up these mics to get uh, the feelings of our listeners so if you have a question to come in or you just want to add something to whether it's the uh the commentary that me brother rise not to forget what brother scotty was talking about in the right. very beginning if you have uh something you would like to add to that or if it's something from the clips or you just wanted to add something that our discussion uh sparked up in your brain by all means give us a call that number is 719 719- Two eight four five two seven one. That number again is seven one nine two eight four five two seven one. And the pin is seven zero six three seven. That number again is seven zero six three seven. Press star star to open up your mic, and we'll get with you as soon as possible. Brother Scotty is the first one up to bat again. Yes, sir. Brother, how are you? All right. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on that uh, Dave Chappelle clip. Um, I watched the special. I thought it was an excellent special. Um, I find I've been following his work for a while. Um, Yes, he's a comedian, but but he be speaking real. truth on a lot of issues, you know what I'm saying? And when he, you know, and I noticed that all of these so-called film critics or entertainment critics, man, 
every last sing, single one of them mainstream platforms like that was vote was saying it was so terrible and this, that, and the other. But it's highly rated on the platform by the viewers yeah. on Netflix. <laughs> you know, giving it this highly rated. And so, um, you know, that's just my observation on the media part of it and how he was talking about cancel culture and what have you. And let me keep it real. Some people need to be canceled. Okay. okay. Um, I feel like if you have a platform that you built, that you manage, that you should have a right to dictate what's on, you know, Absolutely. um, I feel, I feel like it's well within, like we've heard these conservatives getting mad talking about social media's bias. You won't hear promoting white supremacy. You won't, you won't hear denigrating, you know, people and mistreating people. I, those, those companies have every right to kick, to deplatform you and kick you off because they yeah. don't want being associated with their brand or maybe that's not, you know, uh, um, the owner or the board of directors say, no, we're not going to tolerate this, this type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I feel like, you know, the only people that have, that you're protected against that you have first amendment rights is with the government. The government can't, according to the constitution, the government can't mistreat you or, or what, excuse me, not mistreat you, but prohibit you from speaking uh, your mind on any issue. And then when you're talking about white supremacy, though, I have some, I have some arguments about that. Does the First Amendment really cover terrorism? Because terrorism is often preceded by terroristic speech. So I don't mm-hmm. think the First Amendment covered that, but that's a different argument. But on, but on the on the alphabet people, as he called it. Listen, he didn't talk about mistreating none of them. He yeah. wasn't ta- telling nobody to go kill them. He wasn't talking about he hate them or nothing like that. He just shared his observations. And anybody, anybody who has been around those groups of people when they're being themselves and what have you, then you would observe the same thing too. When I first went into the military, I made a friend, this this black guy from Detroit. I ain't know the dude was gay, uh, you know, not to say I wouldn't have been his friend, uh, but he had a wife, you know, he was married, so he definitely living undercover, right? And so we became good friends, and he told me, look, man, my marriage is sham. She's really, you know, bisexual, and, and I'm gay. And, you know, so we just got uh, married so that we can get extra benefits from the military. I say, I appreciate you telling me that. And I'm letting you know I'm heterosexual. I don't swing that (laughs) way. Don't ever try me. But we can still be cool because he was a cool dude. Well, you was talking about reading and studying and stuff. Both of them were very studious, very, you know, deep into you know, the uh, scholarly work of, of black people and what have you. They had a very extensive library, okay? I just didn't agree with the with their sexual orientation, but we was cool. But right. they would invite me to some of their parties and stuff. And then I'm a young 20-something-year-old. I'm like, I'm going to go observe them and see what's going on. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I noticed, man, some of the same things that they should. Now, mind you, this was like 20, 30 years ago. Did, like my, my friend that was gay, man, he you talk to him about, hey, man, why don't you try some? 
you know, talking about some some women or whatnot. He was like, I don't want no stinking fish and stuff like that. And, and yeah. they don't about each other like that, man. You know what I'm saying? So I don't yeah. know why people was trying to get all up in arms. He was basically telling you the truth. I made the same observations of how they be nasty towards each other and what have you. Now, the the part that really resonated with me, though, was the trans, okay, yep. the trans people. And he was talking about, you know, they got mad at him because he made the little Chinese face. He was like, I, I, I've been Chinese on the inside all the, all the yep. time. You know? So am I Chinese? You know what I'm saying? Just the absurdity of a biological male, all he has to do is declare that I'm really a woman. And this society is ready to recognize him as a woman. That to the point that I, you know, there was a trans a transsexual MMA fight. Yeah, broke the lady. Oh jump. my gosh, she yeah, he pummeled her. Go ahead, brother. Jeez. Yeah, beat her down, <laughs> beat her down like a man. Okay, <laughs> beat her down yeah. like a man would. That was an assault. And that woman who was an experienced MMA fighter said she ain't never felt such power in the ring from any of the females or what have you. And then you got on the high school level, you got them uh, uh, winning wrestling championships against uh, against girls, winning track meets against girls, and and now these women are starting to push back against that. And I mean, but just the absurdity. Uh, All male has to do is say, "I feel like a woman inside." And and then they, and then the last thing I saw this article the other day where. This dude in prison saying, I feel like a woman inside, and now they're ready to transfer him to a woman's prison. I'm like, I think man. They did that already. Uh, that was, oh, did they? So that's what, that's what Dave Chappelle was talking about. Any doggone right about, about mm. that. Absolutely. I, I want, I, uh, thank you, Brother Scotty, but I want to add thank one you. thing to that. And along with the fact that they let these in. <laughs> I hear this all the time, but uh, why you always got to throw race into it? But notice that all of these transgenders that's doing all of these activities with women, they're white. But on the other end, a muscular black girl can't do her normal routine with the girls. But they let these white men dressed as women come in and do them no problem. Keep that in mind. Because we get, like Dr. Umar said, we get distracted with so many things we don't tend to pick up because while they are pushing their, uh, I'm going to say privilege for lack of a better term, while they're pushing their uh, homosexual or transgender or, or whatever privilege that they're that they going to coalesce around, we are still getting trampled just for being black people in general including in that in that group they getting mistreated over there too don't get it mistaken but uh thank you for that brother scotty we got another caller man thank you brother greetings long time no hear from you how are you doing this evening let the people know your name where you calling from peace cool joe man what's going on fellas still learning peace and love still learning for sure yeah, man. Same here. Same here, man. It's good to hear from you guys. And um, it's been a minute, but um, got to tell you, man, good, good show. I'm glad um, 
you guys brought up the, the Dave Chappelle show. I think it's very, very important. I think that to me, the mic drop moment in that show, and I'm, I'm just going to graze over it because a lot of people have been covering it, was when he spoke to the woman in his actual department, when he said that he wanted yes. to say faggot on his show, and they said, you can't say faggot on the show. And then he was like, all right, cool. And he stopped and said, wait a minute. But I say nigga all the time. And, she, and he said, no. He said, wait a minute. He said, no, I, but why can't I say faggot? And she said, well, because you're not gay, Dave. And he goes, well, I ain't a nigga either. <laughs> and that was just, I just let you know right away their priorities and how the situation is set. And they're already decades, if not centuries ahead of us as far as getting what they want, doing what they want to be, doing what they want to do, being whoever they want to be for any for any reason. Um, and the other thing I did notice is that I noticed it's mainly males becoming females. I don't see the other way around that much, but I could be incorrect. Um, the other thing was Dr. Umar mentioned, I think that was very important that we lack is um, solitude. Um, that peace that we need to actually clear our minds. And uh, Brother Roth, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, mentioned that I've, I've actually never knew that that was the book that spoke about the breathing techniques. There's a brother yeah. over here in Brooklyn um, called, um, I forgot this brother's name, man. He does Egyptian yoga. And this brother was actually introduced me to that Egyptian book that I never knew about the Metzinetta and the breathing techniques. I did hear yeah. about the the words. That was the interesting thing I did hear about. And I got to go look back in my notes. But there was a sister that, that studied ancient Egyptian language and was speaking on how the words pronounced created power and generated birth, like vibrations themselves. Right. So Absolutely. It was, it was a, so it was a very, very important key thing to hit on there because I think that ultimately studying that is what we need to do and somehow incorporated into the day-to-day -day activities to get us to a space where we can be at peace, even in this racist white supremacist society. I think it's extremely important because our, our mental, our mental state is getting broken down day by day, every and on every angle. We are just being attacked nonstop, nonstop. And I and I and I'll say this, and I'll and I'll, I'll close. I took a trip to Cuba about two years back, and then there little to no advertisements on the streets, by the way. So the visual, you're not getting bombarded by visuals. The women down there are not inhibited by their bodies. So they don't feel uncomfortable if you glance at them or see them or look at their bodies in any kind of way, as long as, of course, you're not, you don't look like some sexual deviant. Um, so they're so they're proud to walk around with like bathing suits because it's, it's 90 degrees, it's boiling hot, sun is out. They're comfortable with themselves um, and safe. Um, also, the water and just the overall environment. Just I can tell you that I think I had a rash on my my arm. Within a day of being there, that rash was gone. I didn't take any medicine. I didn't take any kind of uh, pills. I actually was drinking the rum <laughs> and um, keep it one, I'll keep it one, which I felt better in two days of being there. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that I wasn't being bombarded mentally, spiritually, and physically on multiple levels, unlike here. 
you know. So that that Metsuneta, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go check that out. I gotta um, I gotta invest uh, a little bit more time into breathing techniques, as I think working out is I'm something I do constantly. I think we all should stay focused on that, but um, that definitely will help with that as well, you know. And uh, that I'll close my line. Thank you, brothers. You know, thank you too, man. Because I was gonna say we pulled out the um a sea bass in Trinidad, and yeah, it, it's something that it. I mean, there's a lot of different ailments that a nice sea bass will cure, <laughs> even if they're mental and spiritual. Sometimes just getting in that water and allowing the 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 global mother, you know, they call her a set in Kemet, but Yemaya in in the Yoruba tradition and the deep sea version is Olokun, which is She's one of the most powerful entities in the Yoruba pantheon. Um, and the healing properties of just seawater is just incredibly legendary. I, I kid you not, you are absolutely correct about that. Um, when you talked about the language, because I learned that in initiation too, because um, we, we have certain chants that we say and we utilize them. And what happens is um, what we learned was when you say the comedic words, because it's a tonal language, African languages are tonal languages, Chinese is a tonal language, um, Japanese is a tonal language. And pretty much when you're saying those words, it's not just the meaning of the word, but it's also the vibration. And as the vibrations are being sounded out by you, those vibrations in your skull actually can cause blood to go to parts of your brain that's normally inhibited just through the vibrations of your speech. So like when you say deities like Ra or Heru, it's really a rolling R. So it's Ra, it's Heru, it's Neter. It's not just a regular short R like we're used to saying in English. So I say it that way, say it in those ways when I speak on the air because most people be like, well, what the heck is he saying? But in reality, the R's are rolling R's, for example. So when you say Ra, it's really Ra. It's not raw <laughs> in that just that blanket flat tone. And that vibration, when you say these different chants, we have different chants we do. We have ancestral holy days. We have, um, we have uh, divine holy days. We have deities for each week. We have deities that preside over each month. I mean, like this, the system is very intricate when you, you know, I have a calendar. Actually, our new year just started September 11th, just like the Ethiopians. They actually still follow the original now valley calendar they just christianized it so their new year was on september 11th like my new year was september 11th and um they also have uh months that have uh 10, 10 weeks of 10 days each so you have 13 months in the ethiopian calendar 13 months in the comedic calendar 12 months of uh, 30 days each 10 day week and then the last month is five days and in kemet those five days were the five days that ra allotted for newt to give birth to mm -hmm the five deities known as um, Osar, Aset, um, Heru the Elder, Set, and, and Nebhet, also known as Nephthys. So in the comedic um, allegorical tale of how we got those extra five days, it was because Ra had forbid Newt from giving birth on any of the other days of the year, and he actually created these five days specifically for her to do so. So those last five days before September 11th were the birthdays of Asar, Aset, Heru the Elder, Nebhet, and Set. So I just wanted to toss that out there too, just as for a little bit more information. Um, when you get into the um, the books of Muada Ashby, he has quite a few um, of of the comedic 
sayings and chants that you would be able to use in your personal um, practice if you if that's what you choose to practice. Um, you know, we got some in initiation that we use regularly, and I can definitely tell you I've had lucid dreams, things like that, and I'm not a person who usually remembers my dreams unless they actually have some meaning. So, um, you know, you have end up having lucid dreams and all kinds of different experiences um, once you start to tune in and really, really allow yourself to open up. Um, that kind of ties into the prayer that I say at the end of each night. You know, that the, the all prayer really is speaking about the creator and our intimate connection to the creator and to each other. And it's something that I use and my family uses to remind us of that so that we never forget that we are just little deities here. Like I said, we're a drop out of the ocean of, of the creator's consciousness. So we have the same qualities as the deity, but in a smaller quantity, a finite, tiny quantity. And then just like water, when you take a drop of water from the ocean, it's the same quality, but on a smaller quantity. And when you put the drop back into the ocean of the creator's consciousness, you don't, you're not able to reclaim the same drop twice. So in our tradition, we speak of being reborn, but reborn in the same family. So someone who may have been your grandmother or great-grandmother in one life might be your brother or sister in another life. And they're going to have a different name, a different birthday, but they're the, you know, pretty much the same spiritual energy that existed as, let's say, that grandmother or great-grandmother in that, in that past life that they lived. And a great book that kind of goes into the power of that and just how um, not just in the Nile Valley, this was something that was understood, but in actually West Africa, especially specifically amongst the Dagara people. And the Dagara people also resided in the Nile Valley and migrated to, to where they are in, in um, Ghana today, um, is the book of Water and Spirit by Maladoma Somme. He actually goes into that quite intimately because he's involved in, in, in a situation just like that. And before his grandfather passes away, he gets to learn some really incredible information about who he is. And like I talked about before, in the Yoruba community um, and in other African traditional religious communities, there's instances where they do readings on the womb of a pregnant mother so they can find out which ancestor is returning. They also, also will determine what his name or her name should be because your name actually is indicative of your destiny. Why, why did you come back to the, to the earth in a physical form again? What is it that you are meant to accomplish once you come back? And your name is supposed to remind you of that because the older you get, as a baby, pretty much you are an ancestor return. So babies are actually closer to the ancestral realm than they are to the, to the realm of the, of the quote unquote living. And once you pass the age of seven, you become tied to the, your earthly form and you lose that, that deep connection you have with the ancestral realm as you, as you move away from, from it in age. So yeah. what happens is, go ahead. Rise before we go too far. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, my apologies. We are getting down. And oh, yeah. Okay. Want to add before? I want to add to something else before you. We get. Go ahead. Go ahead. No problem. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish your thought. I was just letting you know about the time. Oh no problem. So I was just saying, um, you know, ultimately, if you want to learn more about that, the the process of of uh, coming back <laughs> and how it's understood in traditional African circles, I would say that book of Water and Spirit. I'm Aladoma Somme is an incredible read and it's based on a true story. It's pretty much his autobiography. Um, and I know someone personally who knows him and his people live on the other side of the river of, of uh, Maladoma's people. 
and they also came from the Nile Valley as well. And I'm, you know, possibly at some point in the future, we'll end up bringing that brother on as a guest. Hopefully, we'll be able to have him on. Um, and uh, so that's it. I just wanted to say that. Go ahead and, and pick up with uh, pick up where you wanted to go. Hey, well, before we get off of here, I want to remind everybody about the uh, Hengelian dialectic. Uh, yeah. For those of you who don't know, this is where we've had a few shows where uh, this has continuously come up because of the situations that's going on 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 the on the earth uh, in our own communities and everything in between. Uh, speaking to the uh, that that young white girl that you heard talking about uh, the yeah. powerful Europeans relying on children. She was 16 year old Swedish girl uh, talking about the effects of climate change. That's what that discussion was about. Uh, right now, we have an instance where we are getting so much coverage about the uh, the wildfires of the western part of the United States with no, uh, I mean, of the Amazon, excuse me, uh, with no coverage of the fires on the eastern part of the uh, of the world in the Congo. Uh, these it's all over Africa, actually. Say again. It's all over Africa, actually, but the Congo is the highest concentration. They said actually 70% of the world's fires that are burning are burning in Africa, and no one's talking about it. Man, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that humans set these fires. I'm not saying they didn't either. I'm just saying I don't know if they set them. But that was a term I used to hear when I was in the Navy, and it was... uh never let a good crisis go to waste. Yes. And also um Hillary Clinton Hillary Clinton said that before. Right. It, it's been a few it's been a few dictators. Yeah, I I know I said dictators. It's been a few dictators that done said that along the lines. I guess we could just pick one, but uh never let a good crisis go to waste. These are ways that these are uh situations and or events that can be used to get us to agree to some BS that they thought of years ago. Uh, me and Ross was having a conversation about this same thing. He didn't mention the uh, Hengelian dialect, neither did I. But we ended up discussing about the Popeye's chicken sandwich. Uh, he shared with me a video that we'll put that we'll put out. Uh, KT the Arch degree. Now, whether you know him, powerful. Or not whether you like his uh information the one thing you can't refute and i've said this several times whether it was here on real life whether it was on uh btr news with brother scotty whether it was on uh tando whether it was on a, a random youtube that i was commenting on and what that is is that <clears throat> oh excuse me <clears throat> my apologies uh, now, what that is, is that <clears throat> these people show us what they're going to do before they do it. And what uh, what me and Ross was talking about as far as KT to Arch Degree was, again, talking about the Popeye's chicken. And he was letting us know about a trick that has moved over here from China where they are putting opioids into the chicken, whether it's by uh, feeding them poppy seeds or actually injecting that into the uh, into the seasoning and what have you that they do the chicken with. 
Now, I know a lot of people are going to be like, that's that's ridiculous. Look it up not. and you shall find it. But also you could look up uh, and I think the exact the exact uh, movie that he stated was uh, Kingsman. The first Kingsman with uh, Samuel Jackson, where these type of uh, where these type of instances, they show this on film as a precursor to us seeing it in real life. What this does is that it uh, it breaks down the nostalgia of of wondering how could this happen because we've already seen it before. They call it predictive programming. Yep. Yep. Subliminal messages. That's what I was just going to get into. These subliminal messages are like Rod said, they are programming us and we're helpless if we don't know it's happening. If you know it's happening, you could prepare yourself and your children and your family for when they get ready to receive this. This is the same thing uh, Rise was uh, telling us about as far as the diodes, uh, because of the radiation coming off of the cell phones and all of the uh the electronic devices uh and this goes on and on right now in, at my in my city Chattanooga Tennessee there has been a wave of teachers that have quit their jobs because they can't control the children and the the ridiculous part about this is that the black community is going in on the parents I'm not saying the parents are not to blame, but bringing up this, uh, I had to bring this up to them, Hegelian dialectic. This has been planned to where you take the power from the children and then the parents will beg you to discipline their children. And then we wonder why they get our children get slammed and body, body slammed, choked, uh, possibly shot. Is because get arrested given, and fingerprinted. We have given away the power that we yield as parents over our children to the very people that we state from our own mouths that we don't trust. This is all a part of that Hegelian dialectic. It's applied in different areas and different uh in on different levels. You have to be looking for these things because they're right in front of your face. And you probably know some of the people who are uh, who are the cause of these. Start paying attention to the signs that are in front of you. With that being said, if there are no more callers or if the callers who uh, who spoke with us, whose mics are still open, if you have something you want to uh, say before we get out of here, the mic is open. If not. Brother Rise, take us out with the prayer. All right. Um, anybody wants to just interject, but I just wanted to say um, that is how the mass incarceration started during the crack era. People could, could not control their children. For the first time in the history of the United States, you had teenagers that were millionaires selling crack um, and selling cocaine and, and all of that stuff. And they pretty much there was an outcry because, you know, we were killing each other. I'm from that generation. And yeah. they cried out that something needed to be done. And Hillary and Bill talked, Hillary and Kill talked about, we need to lock these animals up. So you had pretty much like two generations of black people, black like males specifically locked up. Joe Biden said that on the floor of the house. He said that. Um, mm. Yeah, before 
he say the prayer. Let me. That was the Hegelian uh, dialect that Dialectic. he was just about. Uh, first yep. was Reagan with the trickle down economics, cut the social safety net, yes. caused even more poverty. Then used the CIA to bring drugs into the country and or allow drugs or assist these cartels, you know, south of the border so that they could fund the overthrow of a socialist government. And then comes Clinton and then they start locking everybody up. See, they created the problem. And then they came in with the solution. What was the solution? Lock them up. Just wanted to share that. Hey, and had us asking for it. Had us asking for it. <laughs> that's 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 the whole thing. Um, oh, what, what, what did uh, Joseph Goebbels say to um, Hitler? Real power is when you create create a reality for your victims, but in their minds, they're the ones who thought of that reality and that answer for themselves. So they have us thinking that we're the ones who came up with this when they've been orchestrating the whole thing the whole time. And before I say the prayer, there's something I need to read. There's a section, I use this in a section of one of my essays that I wrote many years ago, but it's so appropriate to this situation and what we're talking about in regards to the title of this program and even the Hegelian dialectic. This is from the book Negroes and Other Essays, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite authors. His name is Umalima Baruti, and he's the one who actually really gave me the impetus to, to be an essayist and to convey the knowledge and information that I was provided with, learned on my own, and was provided by our elders to our people in the written form. And this is what he wrote. If European culture is insanity, then at the fundamental level that humans define and perceive reality, we as Africans and people of color have a very serious problem. If the cultural minority becomes the power majority, and this minority through military, media, and religious might force the majority cultures to adopt its culture as their own, then insanity becomes the norm and is redefined as sanity. Accepting another's reality as your reality makes their reality yours. If the global majority is right, then Europeans are wrong. Unfortunately, as is the case with European cultural imperialism, if the insane can convince the sane that insanity is sanity, then the sane majority become insane and insanity becomes universal and comes to be seen as sanity. Those individuals or groups who dare to hold on to their original sanity become universally depicted as truly insane or backward, and those who carry are carriers of the original insanity become universally depicted as truly sane or modern. Indeed, Europeans are a minority. They currently represent less than 10% of the world's population and their numbers are steadily shrinking to an estimated 3% by 2073. So what you're seeing is, you know, I've always said this, do the, the alligators that are non-white look to the white alligators to tell them how to behave and act? Do the albino roaches tell the non-white roaches how to think and how to act? Then why is it, and they're this complete minority because they're albinos, they're white. So they, they barely survive in society unless white people put them in zoos. That's why white people always catch white animals, albino animals, and put them in zoos to protect them because they would not survive to maturity in the wild. So why is it that human beings are the only living entity that allows the youngest people on the planet, by their own admission, they have only been here for about 8,000 years. That's when the first anatomically white people, as we see them walking the streets of America today, came into existence. 
So you know what that means? All of those depictions of the Neanderthal are incorrect. Neanderthals were non-white. I want to put that in your skull because Neanderthals date back 25,000 years, 50,000 years. Um, So if white people, anatomically white people, as we know them today and through their own genetic studies, they have actually come out in the last few years. I posted multiple articles on this before, scientific articles, and stated that they were not physically present on the planet until about six to 8,000 BC, then that means that prior to that, that Neanderthals were not, not, were not white people, which is something that um, uh, Dr. Richard King talked about, and I believe Sheik Answer Joke talked about that as well. But many people just keep saying, you know, Neanderthal, white people are Neanderthals. White people are just a, 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 an extinct branch of the hominin family tree. And hominin pretty much means human, different variations of humans, whether you're talking about Australopithecus or um, Zinjanthropus boise, all of these different beings are actually different aspects of humanity that existed before we anatomically modern Homo sapiens sapiens came into existence. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I thought it was a very important uh, uh, understanding in regards to how insanity spreads and becomes epidemic. And when you look at the things that we talked about tonight, the things that came up in the different clips that we did talk about, um, you'll see that they have done, I, I tell people all the time, uh, colonizers are the world's greatest psychoanalysts and psychologists in human history. They've created a complete system of domination and control and have forced the world to, Im- to embed themselves in it and made it a self-fulfilling prophecy by all 11 areas of people activity. That is economic, education, entertainment, healthcare, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, war, and technology. Each one of them, they dominate them, and the overriding religion that supersedes all of it is white supremacy. Everything they do is about white supremacy. So when you think that they're giving you something that's positive and uplifting, like you know, making uh, the, the alphabet community a lifestyle rather than an actual mental illness and getting these people help, and when I say that, I don't mean putting them in Jesus camp or abusing them or mistreating them, but actually having them work through the issues that they had, like Dr. Welsing and Dr. Umar Johnson had done throughout their, their lives as therapists, it doesn't mean that it's going to make them no longer, you know, do the things sexually that they do, but it's going to give them an understanding and hope of themselves and hopefully allow them to act in a, in a more balanced manner as far as this the public and how they express themselves in their house versus them trying to force their ideologies and ways of life with other people who don't want it because it's not the norm. And we have to start really speaking of these things for what they really are. The thing is that they, because they've gotten more rights in 40 years than we've gotten in 500, we're just not able to get that facilitated at this moment. But hopefully as the sisters come around, you know, Jenna was talking about how, you know, they, and, and um, Scotty, about them getting beat up in the UFC ring, they're getting out running the track meet by these men running around taking hormones. Remember that estrogen is only going to do but so much to feminize a man. A man is going to be a man at his core, period. And as a result, just because they sashay around doesn't mean they might not beat the heck out of you as a man because they're still men. They just express themselves in a feminine manner. And don't ever forget that. So did you have any last things to chime in with before um, we, we close out with the prayers, um, Jenna? Or anyone else? All right. Um, so it seems like nobody does. So we're going to just say the prayer now and then close oh, out. Uh, Roz, oh, go ahead. <laughs> my apologies. I had muted myself. Uh, oh, my bad. Go ahead. Before we get going, I just wanted to show how this is 
also included in these 48 laws of power. Now, let me read this law 39. As a matter of fact, uh, I will do you one better. Check this out. If you manage a team, you have to try and Well, that's not what I meant to do, but we can fix that. The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Law 39. Stir up waters to catch fish. Anger and emotions are strategically counterproductive. You must always stay calm and objective, but if you can make your enemies angry while staying calm yourself, you gain a decided advantage. Put your enemies off balance. Find the chink in their vanity through which you can rattle them, and you hold the strings. By the late 1920s, Haile Selassie had nearly achieved his goal of assuming total control over Ethiopia, a country he felt needed strong and unified leadership. As regent to the Empress Sauditu and heir to the throne, Selassie had spent several years weakening the power of Ethiopia's various warlords. Now only one real obstacle stood in his way, the Empress and her husband Ras Guksa. Selassie knew the... Now we're not going to go too deep into this because we actually discussed that actual story last week. But this is mm-hmm. the same exact instance, whether we're talking about uh, the crack epidemic. Uh, in reverse, this opioid, because uh, where they made us hate each other through the crack epidemic, they have uh, created some, I don't know how, but they have created so much sympathy for these uh, opioid drug abusers. And we be right along with it. I know a lot of us try to take into account that some of our people are uh, dealing with this and that's not wrong for you to feel that way, but trust and believe that that is not for us. And most of the time we don't get the treatment that the others do. But with that being said, I just wanted to uh, add that last little piece. Uh, Thank everybody for joining us this evening. Uh, hopefully it was constructive um you all learned something i did as i always do and once again thank everybody for joining us uh catch us right back here next tuesday nine o'clock sharp peace yes uh thank thanks for um everyone spending their tuesday evening with us we greatly appreciate each and every one of you if you wish to donate to uh black talk media project you can do so at uh black talk uh, blacktalkradionetwork.com there's I believe a letter B there that will take you to an area where you can donate there's also a um, you can donate like using PayPal or with a I believe a, um, a debit or credit card or a checking account and then there's also an address that you can mail in a check to if you prefer to do it that way another way you can support the network is to join BTR community which is a closed social media space that where we have constructive conversations that pertain to the issues that we as black people are dealing with and um, we just post information and we discuss some of that information um, regarding what we find. And, and so on all different topics, anything that pertains to either us understanding what's happening in the world or us understanding what's happening to us collectively as a people, you'll pretty much find it there. And it's closed so that um, you have safety. No one, there's no advertising on there, so there's nobody data mining you. Um, you know, you don't have to tell your boss that you're a member of the site. They won't know anything about you unless you choose to divulge that information. So it's a much safer space than a Facebook, which is open to the public and things like that. I believe now they're forcing people to use all of their real information. So yeah. when you're online, you're exposing yourself completely. 
So, um, you know, I just wanted to throw that out there so people oh. can can go ahead. And just to add, uh, not only does uh, Scotty have donate buttons, but we will have a donate button here soon as well. I just want to throw that in there. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. And on one thing I think that just before we tie it up, tie it up and close it out, um, one thing I think they do to mask the fact that it's white people is they use the term opioid. It's a way of deflecting from what's really happening. They're just heroin addicts, legal heroin addicts that pretty much became illegal heroin addicts after being strung along by their doctors and pharmacists with these legal, with legal access to heroin. Once they lose the legal access, then they get the needle and they go to the man on the corner like everybody else. And I think that, um, we have to use, use descriptive terms that really express what's happening here rather than cleaning it up like they're doing with the situation so that we words can actually important. just talk. Words are very important, and we just need to actually start conveying these truths for what they are. They are legal drug addicts, le- legal heroin addicts. They used to call us crackheads and fiends and scratchers because, you know, addicts, especially heroin addicts, scratch a lot. Um, they had something called uh, crack addict feet which, you know, crackheads will walk so many miles, even barefoot, to get drugs that their feet would be tore up. Like, these were all names and jokes that they had for our people that we used against ourselves. And I'm not saying to, 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 to ridicule or make fun of these people, just make it clear that these people are humanized. We are consistently dehumanized in every state that we're in, whether it's a holistic state or an unholistic state or addicted state. We are consistently dehumanized. And I just wanted to throw that out there because like you just said, words are important. So we're going to say the prayer now and close out the program. Thank you so much to everyone that was with us. Thank you for chiming in, Brother Cujo, Brother Scotty, all the callers and listeners um, that are that are not that have, did not call in directly. Thank you for being with us. For those who listen to the podcast and are not able to be with us tonight, we thank you as well. And just join us here next week, same time, um, same same station, as they say. Um, Creator, we ask that you help us to remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us to remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places, each and every time that we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Let's replace white supremacy with justice ASAP. Let's end the prison industrial complex. And of course, let's stop human trafficking as well. I am in the love of the all, and all love is in me. I am a part of the all, and the all is a part of me. I am one with the all, and the all is one with me. I can succeed as a part of the all and fail as an individual. I can be all that I wish in the all, as long as my wish is to stay in the all. I am never alone. The all is. I am. The all can. I can. The all does. I do. Once again, thank you for spending your Tuesday evening with us. Please stay safe and out of the hands of these slave catchers. The simplest thing you can do if you're a person who drives is buckle your seatbelt. That is one of the first things you can do to stop yourself from being pulled over for some nonsense. And if you choose to imbibe and partake of any substances that um, change your state of mind or, or get you high or drunk, stay in the place that you are using those substances until you are sober before you hit the street so they cannot stop you from being intoxicated in public and just do everything you can to minimize contact to minimize conflict not just with race soldiers and slave catchers but most importantly with other black people thank you once again peace and love you know much love and light to all of you and we'll see you next next week tuesday creator willing good night hey peace and love uh Pelosi just announced earlier today that the impeachment for Donald Trump do not be fooled. Do not let that waste your time.
election yeah. is next is in a couple months <laughs> what difference does that make do not file for it peace peace black 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 is kinky my nose is white my skin is technicolor i'm gonna apologize you peep my aura you love to go before you touch my shine just know it ain't my style it ain't my shame ain't what i do ain't what i say i'm just telling than licorice harder other another brother with chip. smooth as butter my lady lover is cinnamon from the gutter my baby mother my venison what that mean my dear like your dinner singing man we can we get a bit of color on the man we hell as the greatest mother ever tread the land or see because it don't make our vision a little more brandy also don't know why coco skin folk drip don't get promo in places with more bucks than added to combo but if you don't know Just tell a lie. I'm just hella lie. I'm just hella lie. You're part of your.